Parsha Vayitze. This is oh, Bereshit or Genesis is uh, such a wonderful part of the Torah. It's all wonderful, but um, some of the uh, some of the things we find ourselves reading in these parashas is it makes me ponder much more, and uh, I find myself trying to get different perspectives on things, contemplate a little bit. So. You may not get the standard three-point sermon today. I kind of just sometimes kind of try to get my thoughts rolled into one, and we just kind of see what happens. So that's what's happening today. The Torah certainly has uh, many narratives, especially um, in Bereshit, that affect me in a more contemplative way. And some of these parashahs really get me thinking. We, there's visions and ladders and souls being breathed into people. There's all kinds of concepts that all flow together, and I really enjoy digging deep into all the different interpretations of these things. Um, sometimes I get going down the rabbit hole so fast I have trouble keeping it all together in my head. There's just so much out there, so many different ways to look at this. And yes, of course, the plain meaning of the text is profitable and sufficient for living a healthy, spirit-filled life. Don't get me wrong, but I like digging deep sometimes. For example, this, this started a couple weeks ago, really, and it started on a Wednesday night Torah club. We were studying the birth of Jacob and Esau, of course, Jacob and Esau, the twins, right, um, and mom's little belly, and they're fighting in there, and Esau comes off first, Yaakov holding on his heel comes out second. And so the commentary that was put forth there in Torah Club was that the Torah's descriptions of the two boys lends themselves naturally towards the distinction of spirit and flesh. Okay, spirit and flesh is where they're going with this. Just for the sake of discussion, they said. Let's think of Jacob as symbolizing the spirit and Esau as the flesh. Makes sense when you think, read on and see how their lives kind of panned out. So Esau enters the world first, but Jacob enters along with him, clinging to him. And the traumatic birth scene illustrates the relationship between spirit and flesh, that um, the animal part enters the world first. And then the spiritual aspect of our being, it sort of needs the animal to be born into the world and that it clings to the earthly animal and uses our physical bodies as a vehicle to enter this world and experience this life. Now I know this imagery can be pretty abstract, um, but it helps me with self-improvement you know, self and self-reflection because um, I can imagine myself as compromising a Jacob and an Esau, right? I have the flesh that is sometimes inclined to sin. And um, I also have spirit that is inclined to uh, go towards Adonai. So I've kinda, I'd like to think of myself as kind of two parts, you know, the fleshly and the spiritual, and kind of separate them a little bit. This isn't like uh, I'm trying to make an excuse of anything, like, oh, I have an excuse to sin because it's just, just my fleshly side. It's, that's not the point. The point is it tries to help me focus on my spirit and to, to uh, develop that part of me that is inclined to Adonai. 
And so really, a lot of it is, boils down to, I just want to be more spiritually focused. Abstract thinking like this can be helpful if you just keep an open mind about the point. And the point is to just grow closer to Adonai. So I really, um, I really connected with the, the spirit and the flesh aspects of it. I'll get, back to that. I'll get back to that a little bit later. For right now, we'll talk a little bit about Parashat Vayitzi. And we're going to revisit a couple of the readings that we already heard Tirza say um, read uh, because there's some people listening online that didn't hear the readings. Those listening online, uh, thank you for listening. May Adonai bless you wherever you are. And so I'm going to uh, do a couple of the readings as we kind of go along here. We're going to begin, of course, at the beginning of this week's parsha, uh, Bereshit chapter 28. Or Genesis chapter 28, verse 10, on page 29, of course, as a very, very well-known story. This week's parsha begins like this. Yaakov went out from Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed the night there because the sun had set. He took a stone from the place, put it under his head, and lay down there to sleep. He dreamt that there before him was a ladder resting on the ground with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of Adonai were going up and down on it. Then suddenly Adonai was standing there next to him. And he said, I am Adonai, the God of Abraham, your grandfather, and the God of Yitzchak. The land on which you are lying, I will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the grains of dust on the earth and you will expand to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. By you and your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Look, I am with you. I will guard you wherever you go, and I will bring you back into this land because I won't leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Truly wonderful dream. Dreams are funny things, aren't they? When you really think about dreaming. Eating and drinking, going about life, these things make sense. But we get real tired. We lay down and go to sleep and hallucinate, basically, is what it is. Just a really odd thing that happens. And dreams aren't all the same. There are some dreams that are a result of just physical stimuli that's happening to you that you feel. You may have a fan running in the room. You're sitting there dreaming, and you're dreaming like you're you have a dream of driving a race car, really it's just the sound of the fan, kind of sounds like something going fast. So that's something that's just, uh, there's some physical stimulus that's causing you to have that dream. Uh, maybe you drank a whole bunch of water before you went to bed, start dreaming that you're going to the bathroom because you need to get up and go, so you better wake up in time. Um, or you can go the other way. Let's say you're dehydrated and you're really thirsty. Have you ever had a dream where you're like drinking water? You wake up like, oh, I gotta get a drink of water. That's, that's a kind of, some dreams have physical stimuli. Other dreams are uh, a little bit more deeper where there's sort of a continuation of thoughts that you're having. You may be dreading a business meeting coming up next week. That's very, very important. You may get a raise. You're, uh, a whole bunch of things hinge on this business meeting that you're preparing for. You lay down one night, you go to sleep, you're dreaming that you're uh, on the way there, you get a flat tire, you're late, you're getting in there, you, you get into the meeting 20 minutes late and everyone's 
you know, upset that you're late and you get your briefcase out and you open it and there's, your laptop's not there, some Dr. Seuss books. And uh, she says, shut that, and you go to pull your phone out, maybe I can download some of the stuff, and then you realize you're wearing a giant banana costume. You know how these things go. <laughs> That's just the sort of dreams you have when you dread an event. And it's sort of like the mind is sort of, it's just unleashed, it kind of just goes. There are some dreams that are very vivid, perhaps a dream of a father or a mother or a child who has passed away. And some dreams that, um, some of those you never forget. Dreams where they may speak to you or dreams where you may learn something about them and they leave you almost shaken when you wake up. So we realize that sometimes there is an outside source to some dreams other than your own mind. It may be Adonai sending you a little message. And that's certainly what's happening to Yaakov here. As the Kumash says, this dream was a vehicle of prophecy. This ladder, Yaakov's ladder, it has many dozens of interpretations. It, uh, some of them are very simple. It's a picture of prayers and answers going back and forth towards heaven. That seems to, it sounds nice. It symbolizes, of course, the holiness of the land, um, the connection between the heavenly realm and ours, on and on. Lots of inspiring and delightful things, of course. Rav Lorberg, in his notes on Vayitze, gives a significance that should inspire all disciples of Yeshua. He notes that uh, the very beginning of this, when it's talking about the ladder here, it's the phrase of the angels of Adonai were descending, were ascending and descending on it. That, um, those two English words there, on it, at the end of verse 12. In the Hebrew, that's one word. It's a contraction of two words, really. It's a, a bait and holom vav. And the bait is really, a, it's a preposition. It just means in or on. So that's where you get the first English word on. Well, the, the next uh, Hebrew word is hu. It's a very common word. Very common word. And it's translated uh, in a handful of ways. And it is certainly one of the ways it's translated. But Almost as many times as that, it's translated as him. Very common Hebrew word, very common. And so this, you could almost read this verse and it would be uh, perfectly within the Hebrew syntax to read that the angels of Adonai were ascending and descending on him. Much different than on it. When you think of it, you think of the latter. Well, angels are descending on him. And, of course, this didn't miss the sages, and they um, suggested that the angels were ascending and descending on Yaakov. But I think many of us know who him is. That was where uh, Tirza read that, a little bit of that for us this morning, that uh, John 1.43, and for the sake of our online listeners, I'm going to read John um, chapter 1, starting in verse uh, 43. It's on page 1331, I think. Yochanan, John, chapter 1, uh, verse 43. The next day, having decided to leave for the Galil, Yeshua found Philip and said, follow me. Uh, Philip was from Beit Zida, uh, the town where Andrew and Kepha lived. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one that Moshe wrote about in the Torah, also the prophets. It's Yeshua ben Yosef from Nazareth. And Nathanael answered him, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Come and see, Philip said to him. 
Yeshua saw Nathanael coming toward him and remarked uh, about him, um, here's a true son of Israel, nothing false in him. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Yeshua answered him, before Philip called you, uh, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael said, Rabbi, you are the uh, son of God, you are the king of Israel. And Yeshua answered him, you believe all these things uh, just because I told you that I saw you under a fig tree? You will see greater things than that. Then he said to him, yes, indeed, I tell you that you will see heaven opened and the angels of God going up and coming down on the Son of Man. So obviously here, there's that direct connection where Yeshua is taking upon himself that, that link. He's saying that he is that link between heaven and earth. Lancaster's got a great cut on this in the uh, Shadows of the Messiah commentary. He says, this is just a little snippet here. Nathaniel and the disciples saw Yeshua working in the power and authority of heaven. That is to say that the angels of God ascended and descended upon him at his behest and command. From the miracles he performed to the divine wisdom he imparted, from the revelation of the word to the saving acts of redemption he worked, right, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, all these made it manifestly clear that Yeshua had bridged the space between heaven and earth. He is the ladder to heaven upon which angelic forces descend and ascend. Yeshua bridges that space between heaven and earth. I mean, this imagery is very helpful for me. Yeshua is that bridge that the angels descend and ascend on. I really like that. Very helpful. I mean, we read that he came down, he humbled himself, uh, he lived a perfect life, um, offered himself up, and was resurrected and sits at the right hand. But that almost makes it sound as if he, Yeshua, sort of disconnected from this earthly place. But if he is the latter, he is connected, and not just connected, but the connection between the heavens and the earth. Yeshua is the connection from which divine blessing comes, healing, peace, revelation. It's that heaven and earth, that connection. And so that heaven and earth imagery there is uh, where I draw a parallel back to my little battle between my spirit and flesh. Do you see the, the parallels there? Heaven and earth, spirit and flesh, right? Heaven and spiritual things, earth and fleshly things. This is very helpful for me for practical application. Let me give you an example. In my prayer life, I have always done things, positive things, asking for blessing, asking for healings, asking for revelation, things that feed the spirit, of course. I think we all do that. But when it comes to my fleshly side, I primarily prayed in the form of repentance. Repentance is good, of course, right? But I don't always conversate with Adonai about my inclination to sin. I think, I think my flesh it likes to avoid that conversation. It's almost like the flesh is happy with the sin-repent cycle. You sin, you repent, sin a little more maybe, repent. It's like a cycle, and the flesh likes that. But to break that cycle, there needs to be some intercession. We need to, uh, or at least I need to better take advantage of the authority Yeshua has as king. Of course, he's king over the heaven and the earth, 
also king over my spirit, but also the flesh. I had to connect all these dots. The struggle that I have is that as I develop the Yaakov that's within me, the spiritual side, it becomes more apparent that the uh, fleshly side has issues. And that's a weird paradox in life. The closer you draw to God, the more flaws you see in yourself. And dealing with them um, becomes sometimes even harder than before because before when you're maybe you're a little fleshly, didn't bother you so much. The hope I have is that one day the fleshly desires will be taken away because the flesh isn't the problem. It's the sin and inclination to sin that the flesh has that is the problem. The spirit's good. The flesh is fine. It's the sin that is the problem. And it's getting rid of that fleshly. It's the desires that need to be taken away. There is the last passage hits on that point really well, I think. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's on page 1438. Here, Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, he's just trying to encourage everybody as he's finally finishing up the letter after uh, to the Corinthians there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42 is where I have it written down. I'm going to start reading. <clears throat> So Paul writes, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. When the body is sown, it decays. When it is raised, it cannot decay. When sown, it is without dignity. When raised, it will be beautiful. When sown, it is weak. When raised, it will be strong. When sown, it is an ordinary human body. And when raised, it will be a body controlled by the spirit. If there is an ordinary human body, there is also a body controlled by the spirit. In fact, the Tanakh says so. Adam, the first man, became a living human being, but the last Adam has become a life-giving spirit. Note, however, that the body from the spirit did not come first, but the ordinary human one, the one from the spirit, comes afterwards kind of like Esau comes first out of the womb, then comes uh, Yaakov, the fleshly one comes first, then the spiritual one. It's the Adam that comes first, and then Yeshua comes. The first man is from the earth, made of dust. The second man is from heaven. People born of dust are like the man of dust, and people born from heaven are like the man from heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so we will also bear the image of the man from heaven. So we see some of the same flesh-spirit imagery here, heavenly-earthly image here, and uh, just going through this paragraph with all the different interpretations would uh, uh, vary greatly on how you see and understand these. But one thing that I draw from this is some hope and expectation, hope that one day there will be a body controlled by the Spirit, a body that is heavenly. I think of it as a body that is rescued from the fleshly desires that we wish we could depart from us now. So our bodies, our flesh, it's not intrinsically sinful. It's just that it's, there's an inclination to sin. We need rescue from that inclination, and it will happen. Our job here in this life is to struggle with it, um, but with divine assistance, we can wrangle it in and not allow 
that sinful inclination to rule over us. Rev Lorberg concluded his uh, teaching on Vietzi with this. <clears throat> he wrote, the angels descend to gaze upon Yeshua because the eternal promise of God now rests upon him. Further, just as the latter in Yaakov's dream connected heaven and earth, so Yeshua himself, as from the beginning, connects earth to heaven. As the Son of Man, he came in humility, poor in spirit, to teach us how to attain blessing and the promise of the kingdom. He is the ladder upon which the angels ascend and descend. Amen to that. I will close with a blessing for us all. May we grow in our understanding of our Creator and His Word. May we take the words of Torah into our hearts and let them uh, reveal truth to us. And may we be found to be seeking the kingdom when He returns to restore all things new, when we have renewed bodies and pure spirits and experience eternal peace. May that be soon and in our days. Shabbat Shalom.